so many of those kinds of figures in mythology, in history, disabled. The seers, the soothsayers, the divination, like all of this stuff was based with someone who was disabled in some way or another. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about disability income, the past and current state of prejudice against the disabled, and lots more. Our host, Monica, is joined by Cosmo, who lives with porphyria, fibromyalgia, and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I will start kidnapping people, and then we have like this three-hour talk, and then I hit record, and we're all looking at each other going, didn't I just say everything already? I am dying laughing at the fact that this recording just started with, and I kidnap people. Yeah, because that is such a me thing to do and to say, yeah, I kidnap people, and then context is digitally. I am not strong enough to actually kidnap people, nor do I admit that I actually would do that. I mean, I'll kidnap pets. I do adopt them, but this is true. And there are times that pets are just like, I had a friend recently who found a cat and that cat's litter of very brand new kittens in their garage. Like they tried really hard to find the owner because like they looked at the cat and they were like, you are in really bad condition, but you're not feral. Like you were someone's cat at some point. And they were going through trying to find the owner of this cat. And basically the vets, both of the vets went, okay, we can't find a chip. We can't find any information. However, if that owner comes knocking, you've never seen this cat. Fair enough. Because like the cat was in horrible condition. Oh man. It was very much like, this is not the kind of condition a cat gets in when they run away for a few days. So this is a cat napping for the cat's own good. Yes. And like, that was very much the case. Like they were told, take care of this cat. On a happier like cat kidnapping story, we have a small suburban farm. Like I basically took my little suburban 5,000 square foot plot and turned it into like a wildlife sanctuary and we have chickens we've got cats we've got dogs like I I turned it into something anyway I love this I have these amazing cats we are indoor outdoor go ahead and throw hate at me if you need to um, in the comments whatever this is just my cats love to be inside outside they have a paradise but I went out one day when I could actually walk and I hadn't seen Pandora for Oh gosh, probably 12 hours. I see her in the morning. I see her at night. And then she just finds various places to lounge. And I like this little adorable neighbor child. There's like a pack of them. They're feral. They're adorable. I love our little feral pack of children. Comes running up to me and she's like, guess what? We just got a cat. And I'm like, that's great, honey. And she's like, we've been taking care of it. We've been feeding it. It was, it was homeless. It's been coming to us. So we've been taking care of it. And dad's going to take it to the vet today. And I'm like, well, where's the pretty cat? And there's my cat, Pandorica. I'm like, you are welcome to feed her. But I now know why she is twice her body weight. Because I know what I feed my cat. I don't want to upset you when you take her to the vet. And there's a microchip. (laughs) But my cat basically found a way to scam multiple meals. I don't even know how many other owners. Because I don't think we ever own cats. Cats own us. They consent to our attentions. It's true. And that's and that's actually like the story of how cats became domesticated is the funniest part. So we domesticated dogs because dogs went, smell meat. Hello. Can I have? Yes, I can have. Wait a minute. This seems, <laughs> this is, hold on. I was expecting the answer to be no. I was expecting this to be more difficult. And then they just kind of like, that just kept going. But with cats, It was very much a situation where they were like, hold on, you have warm, you have food, 
you have companion and I don't have to compete for any of this. I am down. In fact, I noticed that the small one of you, the hairless bean, this one makes a noise and then you respond to the noise with love and affection and food and things. I'm going to make that noise. And that's how cats meow. Just dying over hairless bean. I am dying over here. By the way, I have a theory of all of us disabled sick people because I've yet to meet any of us who are not hilarious. And I really think that like part of it is we have so many doctors to workshop our comedy on. Like comedians actually have to like get stage time and they have to like workshop shit. Like we have so many doctor's appointments and what else are we going to do? And they ask the same questions. They know what they're going to say to us. We know what we're going to say to them. I need something to not be bored. Yes, like you have to crack the jokes. The best time is procedures. The the time where they're like prepping everything ahead of time and you're meeting everybody and they're like maybe getting the IV set up or something. Like you're getting, you're getting all set to go to dreamland for a yeah. minute. And you have this whole captive audience and half of them aren't doing anything at the moment. The other half, it's just like all muscle memory. So like, I am the person who cracks so many jokes in those cases. The other thing is, there's a tiny window because I have, I have actually like a pretty strong tolerance for pain medicines and anesthesia. So there's a brief window. Yeah, Eller Stainless. Yes. Eller Stainless, if you have it, please, for the love of all that is unholy, tell your anesthesiologist and make sure they know what that means. Because yes, we do have an incredibly reduced ability to process the pain medication. And real fun note, it goes faster through our system. Yes. Which is why I had accidental natural childbirth. Woohoo! That expression is, feels very fair. I won't get like into the like gore of labor, but I will say like I am a smart ass. And my labor and delivery nurse was so not having my routine at all. She was just done with me. It's my default. When I'm in pain, I will make jokes and I can't shut up. Yeah. And like, it's just what happens, which is what's happening right now because I haven't taken my pain meds yet. My labor and delivery nurse is like, okay, I'm going to leave. But once you get to like a pain level of nine or 10, it's going to be time. And I'm like, okay, wait, wait, just, you know, a break from our little banter that I've been having one-sided. I'm chronic pain. When do I know I've gotten to a 10? I have no concept of what a 10 is and she just looked at me like dead stare and she's like when you can't be a smart ass anymore is when you're at a 10 I was like that was cold cruel and mean but helpful yeah like, I use that now as my barometer like my physical therapist uses it too he's like you're not being funny right now Okay, we are in trouble. But that's brilliant, right? Like, I'm also going to stop blurring my background because like, one, it's ADHD piles. It's fine. I'm just, just like digging everything I see. I keep forgetting like how much cool like <laughs> art and collectibles I see whenever. Like, is that a suit of artwork back there? It is. That's Pierre. Hold on. I'm going to show you. Hi, Pierre. Oh my God. This is why I adore you. I'm a LARPer and I have been since I was 13. So I know so many people who do things like SCA and Dystopia Rising. Why have not done this yet? Oh, we need to explain because I know I LARPing is like, I, yes. Yes, yes, yes. We are a role-playing household. We do not LARP, but that's mostly because accessibility, wheelchairs, LARPing is a thing that's possible. Yeah. It's just way more effort than I'm willing to put into anything in my life right now. It is. So <laughs> you need to explain LARPing for the general public. Good point. Because people, if they do know LARPing, a lot of the times they don't really know like 
actually what it is. Like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that thing that a bunch of nerds do. That describes everything from Microsoft down to LARPing. Like, yes, we are now pop culture. Thank you. Right. We we do a lot of things. LARPing is it's live action role play. And the way that I usually describe it is it's like D&D and improv acting had a baby. Because that is really the closest you can get to describing what the fuck LARPing is. It is similar to tabletop in that you have your own character. There are set rules and mechanics that you have books for because that's the way we do things. And you have a storyteller. The best way I can describe that role is that person is in charge of the NPCs and the world you're in. Sometimes they have their own character, but usually that gets really messy. Oh, and NPCs are... Oh, NPCs are non-player characters. Thank you for prompting me on these things because like I'm so used to being in like the tabletop spaces and stuff that I forget a lot of the times that like this is all terminology. My husband's like almost 16th birthday gift to each of our kids was to create this incredibly in-depth D&D campaign. And it is the cutest thing. It lasts for like six months to a year. Our son still talks about it. Our son's in his 20s. He lives in another state. When um, he started this one for our baby, our son came home. We took an NPC and turned it into a character for him. So whenever he comes home, he can kind of jump into the game. And each of them have had like such great memories with their dad to do this game with him. I know it's like that. There's a reason I married this man. Like he is the best human I've ever actually met. It took him three years to convince me he was actually this human because I was like, there's no one. <laughs> I used to call him Mr. Rogers when we met because he's just, he said O.C. Daisy unironically. Like I have ruined this man. He now swears. And like my daughter is so mad at me for getting him to start swearing. She's like, no, no, dad used to never do this before you fucked him up. I'm like, did you just hear yourself? You did it too, honey. Not just me. You're a teenager. You can take some personal responsibility here. You are. You messed up dad too. And the other thing is, let's be real. I don't think that people genuinely go through parenthood and come out not swearing. There's not really a way to get through parenthood without having some kind of coping mechanism, right? You have to have a coping mechanism to raise a small hairless bean. Yeah. That, that meows at you. But we're, we're going to keep bringing that hairless bean joke back because I'm here for it. And, and I buckle up, everyone. This is a new thing. But you're right. Like, you have to have some sort of coping mechanism to do this, like... I'm Me actually too. responsible for your ability to breathe and eat and become, oh, oh, and I'm supposed to make you a good human that's productive in a very scary world that I can't handle, that I emotionally was yeah. unprepared to deal with. I am in a constant state of, yeah, whatever that like, that, that opossum meme is where the opossum is just like, yeah. oh yeah, no, that is how I feel every time I open up a newspaper and like, I am, I don't know how to process this and I have to teach you how to process this. Right. Like, especially if you're Gen X and younger, right? Because, like, you're a baby. You're not allowed to grip yourself with this old lady over here. You, you are adorable. Look at that shiny skin. No, 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 no. I have earned this croneness. I have earned the cackle. It's not, it's not like necessarily that it's about the age, right? Because that's why I also made sure to include like Gen X. Chronic illness gave me 30 years. I felt that in my bones. <laughs> oh my God. People have been calling me an old soul since I was like eight. And it's really just the chronic illness. Like, it's really just the fact that like, I had to develop gallows humor, a sense of what death is, my own mortality, the ability to manage an illness. 
the ability to explain what chronic illness is to other children, the ability to communicate about my mortality to other children and not have them immediately run screaming and also not you know, get me in trouble with their parents for talking about death when they hadn't gotten there yet. Ooh, that's a fun conversation. Oh, it is great. So I have a lot of like spirituality now as an adult. I'm a Celtic pagan and I've been practicing for five years now, just over. And it was a very interesting thing for me to get to because before that, I was a staunch atheist. I was the very bad kind of atheist who was like, I am so bitter about the existence of organized religion that I want to dismantle it myself. And that was very not good. What chance between the ages of 18 and 22? Because I feel like those are the anarchy years for just about every young, like anyone who has that inclination. Like those are the ages where you're like, tear it all down you all screwed up yeah four centuries we have the receipts we're going to tear this apart and somewhere in the mid-20s you're like i'm so tired i don't know i'm just gonna go find my own pretty patch of ground and i'm just gonna make it as pretty as i can and i'm going to sip tea and i'm going to try to tune all of your chaos out like it was a perfect timeline because like i was raised atheist and if i wasn't raised atheist being chronically ill as a small child was definitely gonna do it oh man but when i came out as genderqueer I was 18, 19. And so like that really lit a fire under the tear it all down thing. Because like I went into my adult life on SSI. So I was on disability income. So, you know, I already got to enter the adult world. You know, like all these other people around me, all my peers were going into adult life with going to college and talking about their careers afterwards and saving money by working and doing all this stuff. And I was working too, but I wasn't allowed to save money. Oh, oh, you need to do a quick explanation because we have international oh, listeners. Yes. So there's two different types of disability income in the U.S., SSI and SSDI, which isn't confusing to anyone at all. No, same with Medicare and Medicaid. Yep, everything's fine. It, I definitely didn't get confused constantly for the first like five years of this. So SSI is the one that I think most disabled people are on because SSI is Supplemental Security Income. The supplemental part is kind of a lie. And by kind of, I mean very much so. What happens is there's a few different restrictions. There is an asset limit, which means you cannot own assets, which includes cash, property, valuables, stocks, etc. You can't own any of those things. Or your spouse, if you're married, it's so much worse, which is why lots of us can't get married. We do not have marriage equality in the U.S. despite queer marriage being legalized many years back. Wow, that actually is many years back. Yeah, when the Supreme Court actually meant something. Do you remember that when the Supreme Court meant a thing? Exactly. So you have the, you have the asset limit. And that asset limit, by the way, is set at $2,000. The sum total of things that I can own as valuables car, house, checking account, savings account, any investments, anything like that. It all counts. And it does not count per thing. It counts total. You cannot have more than $2,000 of thing total. They don't count small knickknacks, but like when you get up there, you get up there. And it's very frustrating. 
Because here's another thing. The computer I have costs like $1,500 because that's how much a good computer costs. So that's fun. That means that the computer I have drained my savings, the savings I was allowed to have, but I needed it to be able to do the things that I do. So the asset limit is a thing. They finally did make a concession where you own your primary mode of transportation and the home that you live in. Oh, that's new. Okay. Yes, that's new. They did finally add that as a thing you can do. And thank fuck, because they realized things like, oh, if you inherit a house or you had a house before you came became disabled, you then have to sell the house, but then you have more money than you're allowed to have. See, this shocks me that they got that through because this is how conservatorships earn money. I'm not talking like the person, the parent, or someone who you know, needs to, which we can have a whole discussion on whether people need to or not. But what I'm saying is, is that there's actually financial groups that have conservatorships where they do this. And this is yeah. how nursing homes earn money and care homes earn money is that mm -hmm. for a very long time, which I did not realize this had changed. I'm shocked that their lobbyists did not force us to not get changed because they make you sell your house. Yeah. Which is why when my dad got sick, my parents had to look at divorcing. Yeah. Like they've been married for like almost 50 years and they looked at having to divorce. And by the way, if you think that this conversation does not apply to you, if you live in the United States, yes, it does. This applies to you because you can get sick, you can get stroke, you can get a heart attack or your spouse can. So just letting you all know, this conversation is for you. It is. It is for you because the other thing is no one teaches you any of this, including the government. They don't tell you most of this stuff. I am this year transitioning from SSI to what's called DAC. DAC is Disabled Adult Child Benefits. DAC is technically a form of SSDI, but it is its own thing because it has its own process and its own rules for application and acceptance. It's very weird. But the concept is, so the core of all of these programs is disabled people, and this is a terrible sentence. This is a sentence I don't agree with. I hate it everything about it, but it is the way that it's set up. It is the intention of the government. The idea with all of this stuff is that as a disabled person, you are either the burden of the government or the burden of your family. And we wonder why we get killed off so often. Exactly. And the reason that things get worse and more complicated when you get married, and in some cases, like in my case, if I get married when I'm on DAC benefits, I lose them. It doesn't matter who my spouse is or whether or not they have money, whether or not they're disabled. The benefits literally just say, if you get married, you lose your benefits. It's wild because in that case, oh, you have a spouse whose burden you can be which means you don't need to be our burden. It's also why with things like SSI, you are actually supposed to report if your family buys you dinner as income. That is the level of things you are supposed to report because you have to report all of your income and you are only allowed to work and get income up to what is called substantial gainful activity. And for SSI and SSDI, that's roughly around $1,000 a month. And if you looked at that and went, that doesn't sound like an amount you can afford to support yourself on, you would be correct. Because here's how SSI traps you. I get the maximum amount a month. I get less than $10,000 a year. Actually, I think with the cost of living adjustment, I get just over $10,000 a year. Does yours get taxed? Because mine gets taxed. 
I don't have SSI. I have, um, I think, SSDI. And mine's still a thousand. Mine's a thousand dollars or rare at a thousand a month, which is hilarious because I also had like when I started, I got I had two children and they gave me two hundred dollars per child. I'm like, okay, so in California, I'm supposed to rent an apartment, pay for food. I haven't gotten to the food yet. I'm already out of money. And also we pay for our medical care here just because you're on SDI or Medicare does not mean you don't also have to pay a copay. I have to pay, even though I have Medicare and health insurance, I have both. I mm-hmm. still have to pay $6,000 a year before any of that kicks in. Yeah, there are some programs where you can have Medicaid pay for Medicare, but Medicaid has a whole bunch of restrictions on where you can and can't get care. Medicaid is actually the reason that I had to leave my last therapist, who was the best therapist I've ever had and was trauma-focused and actually helped me significantly. She hated this situation because she tried to find every way around it she possibly could and came up with nothing because she moved and started a private practice, which meant she didn't have the resources to do the amount of paperwork that is required to take a patient who is on Medicaid. And let me clarify, a patient who is on Medicaid, not a patient who is using Medicaid to see you. I paid out of pocket. I didn't use my Medicaid to see her. But because I was on Medicaid, there was a ton of paperwork that needed to be done. It's a mess. It's terrible. So much of the stuff in these programs is meant for eugenics. And it is meant for worsening our condition because we used to have something in the U.S. called ugly laws. And the ugly laws were specifically based around the idea of keeping disabled people out of public. And this is also why there is such a confusing thing between invisible disabilities and not. And by invisible, I mean not readily apparent to abled people who are not informed about disability. Because those who are informed about disability often can tell, but those who aren't look at you and go, ah, one of me, excellent, I accept you as a human being. And they get so intense about the disability policing because you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to look like me because if you look like me, then maybe people I know are disabled. Hmm. I've kind of come to realize that a lot of the the traumatic experiences I've had with healthy people, which there's been plenty, (laughs) are usually around people who are terrified this will happen to them. I feel like it's different than a lot of other prejudices. We we do not stand for any of that. That's awful. I'm just saying this is different. And the reason I feel like it's different is I think most people realize you are not going to get turned gay. The frogs, the water, watching Teletubbies, your gender sexuality is pretty much decided way before media will get to you. Disability will find you. If you are lucky enough to live long enough, it will find you. You, you. you cannot avoid it. Eventually, you will become one of us. Come to the dark side. We're funny. But it was so based in fear. Like the, the horrible yeah. things that people have said to me were so based in, oh my God, I'm scared. Yeah. And recognizing that made it easier to say goodbye to those people with, without feeling like I wanted to like nails down a chalkboard. It's just like, I yeah. wish you comfort and compassion. I wish you to figure out compassion. Mm-hmm. I wish you to figure out wisdom. I wish you empathy. healing. Blessed be Mazel mm-hmm. Wishing you the best away from me. Like, yeah. I wish you to have the best possible growth and life, but you are no longer emotionally healthy for me. And I wish you to have all the good emotional growth, not in my space. Yeah, so much. Like, I feel like 40s were the best decade for me. Like, my 20s, you could not pay me enough. My 30s were like this absolute like trauma response of trying to figure out the trauma of the 20s. 
And like 40, I feel like this whole crone thing is totally vibing me. I'm like, I think I was always that old woman, like in a cottage, just sort of like eyebrow raised tea with like a shot or two of whiskey in it with a whole bunch of fuzzy things running around me going, that looks like a shit show. I'd have no interest in close the garden gate. Right. I feel like the idea of the crone, something that's really important that often gets lost is the fact that being a crone is it's not necessarily tied to age because what tended to correlate with age especially age that was, you know, just after a time of motherhood, like mothering age, right, was disability. And so many of those kinds of figures in mythology, in history, disabled. The the seers, the, the soothsayers, the divination, like all of this stuff generally was based with someone who was disabled in some way or another. Can living in the patriarchy count as a disability? I just want to know. Like, it makes me so sad. My teenager is always constantly going like, this is not okay. And I'm like, no, no, that's not okay. But it was so much. And like, it'd be like, well, mom, why didn't you guys do this? Like, you know, we were like yeah. watching like, you know, the whole response to the dress code, like dress mm. coding stuff. And my little baby was like, well, isn't that what you did? I'm like, no, we were not taught we could do that. We were taught to sit quietly. Like yeah. to get to that point, like when I complained, it was boys will be boys. Your yes. bra is just being snapped. Your ass is just being grabbed. And you're not getting hurt. It's fine. That's from principle. So trying right. to explain to my little baby the fact that society is saying not okay that you can go on Reddit and if you can ignore all the trolls, lots of people are coming up going not okay when it's not being put on television shows as look at that charming young gentleman he's going to be great in a fraternity yeah. you know like it's not in our society lexicon it's not in our advertising which i think is usually the good barometer of what a society will accept at large mm -hmm. that's not in our advertising yeah. so i have to explain to my baby like okay no it's not okay but you have no idea how far we've come and when you're saying like this yeah. is the modern age i'm like it still feels so up but you're right it, it is. is years from where we were and i'm like why is it such an incredible jump for all of us to get to the place where privilege and let's just face it in like 99% of society's men just to get to where the healthy privileged men in a society are where you know like just to get to that point yeah. like where they're just you know like where they're born to with those lack of roadblocks like how how far do we have to get because I feel like we've come late years and we yeah. still can't even see the horizon point yeah and that's one of the hardest things too it's that amazing sentiment of the more you learn the more you realize you don't know that's fair. Because the other thing is, that's part of it, is like, we have to learn about the people that are being oppressed and are marginalized by this society in order to know what they need for us to be able to bring them up with the rest of us. And like, I say that as though I am up with the rest of us, right? Because like, one of the few forms of marginalization I don't have is like, race, right? Because like, I'm trans, I'm queer, I'm disabled, I'm poor. It's just got all of these fucking layers, right? But like, it's true. And like, that's also like circling back a little bit to the idea of the fact that a lot of ableism is based in fear in a way that isn't as present in other forms of bigotry and prejudice, because I think that is good to point out. And part of why it's good to point out is because the fear driving ableism is exactly why ableism is used as the basis for these other forms of bigotry because that's the whole idea right like race science and like the ableism used to paint queerness as mental illness 
and things like that. It's all rooted in ableism because ableism is the most palatable form of bigotry. Everyone that's abled tends to be afraid of being disabled. And like, I get it. All right. It's not fun. The other thing is like, you know, when they tell you to do yoga and all this other stuff, what they are expressing is their fear. What they are expressing is, I need to feel like these are actionable things that will make you not disabled because I need to feel like this is a roadmap I can follow to not be disabled. I need to feel like if I do all the right things, I won't be disabled. So I need to feel like your disability is within your control because that means so would mine or like so would me not becoming disabled. They have to blame us because otherwise it's just this cosmic thing that could happen to them at any moment. And here's a great example, right? One of the things we recently finally found out, because another thing is people don't realize, like a lot of people, able people don't realize that you don't just kind of know your disability. You mean House doesn't come running through the hospital doors with a team of pathologists that will stop at nothing until they find out what's wrong with you? What? Right. There are some disabilities where obviously you'll know. You generally know if you can't see or hear. That's something that they figure out pretty quick. Like if you're in a car accident and your arm is like cut off, we figured out what's wrong. Like that's the level you can expect of the amount of investigation that will go on if you do not advocate for yourself. And even then they might fuck with you a little bit because that's how it goes. Like they might be like, yeah, you don't have the arm. So obviously it doesn't hurt or like things like that. Look up gaslighting in the dictionary. You will see someone with a stethoscope. Not all doctors. I get it. Not all doctors. Some of you guys are pretty awesome but enough that i feel like i just want to throw one thing in there before we go into this this section is you got this first part of the prong of the erasure of people the other part of the prong is the erasure of those people's achievements yes that's what hurts my soul because like when we're learning history in the state approved schools you don't get to learn anything except the wars and the men who were in power because the, apparently they forgot all of women's achievements through all this time. Because uh-huh. I didn't learn value of this stuff until college. I'm like, wait a minute. It is an erasing of everyone's achievements. And that's the other way they get you is, yep, it ignores all of the incredible things people can do while dealing with everything else they're dealing with. That's the other thing too, is that like that erasure is so on purpose because like, Right. We mentioned earlier about how it feels like we have these huge leaps just to like bring marginalized groups up to where abled cishet white men are at. And that's a much harder sell for society to give us incremental progress if we have the history and the knowledge of the fact that, hey, but things went down before they are going back up. We were there before. We had our place in these societies. So I'm not going to fuck around with incremental progress. I am just going to make demands and make it very clear that you can't survive without me. Because that's the big thing. If they show that all of these groups are capable of the amazing things that they've done in history, then we're just going to go, yeah, actually, funny thing is, y'all's group 
did a lot less. You mostly just exploited the rest of us, actually. So if you think about like hiring managers, I spend like 90% of my life in bed. So I have to have an entire office in bed. I am an artist. I'm a writer. I have everything there. Plus I have kids, plus I have pets. So I've created like five separate rooms in a 10 foot space. It's pretty out of the box thinking. If you to hire someone who's actually an out-of-the-box thinker and is super motivated, disabled people. I disabled people. We yes. might not get it done on time, but it will be done in a way you could never have imagined. Right. And realistically speaking, if you work with us to set the deadlines, we probably will get it done on time because we know how to make sense of our own capacity a lot better than you can. Realistically speaking, and the deadlines that you set are probably shit-tabled people anyway. They're usually arbitrary. It doesn't like I That's just usually a power play. Let's be real. It's a power play and it is for the investors because investors don't like it when they aren't sure when something is gonna be done. I mean, too, if I promised pizza at a certain time, I would like my pizza at that time. I, I get yeah. grumpy. I mean it's fair. It's fair. Disney fucking lied to me. First off, it told me that with this long hair, I could just throw a ribbon in it. Secondly, it told me that was woodland animals. If I took care of my pretty little nature garden, the woodland animals were going to come in here. They were going to make me a whole wardrobe. And they were going to make me dinner and bring it to me. I would like a discussion with Disney. I feel lied to. I feel hurt. Yeah, like, what is this? Disney also taught me that cleaning is just, you know, swooshing a broom back and forth for a minute while singing. Yeah, which I can do that some days, a few days. Every now and again. Sorry. I know y'all hate it with a cackle, but. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Oh, no, we get notes on my cackling. Oh, we really? Get, we get lovely emails on like oh, no. my voice, my cackling. I'm like, wow, y'all really want people to be quiet, don't you? You know, they really want femmes and disabled people to be quiet. Well, now they wanted my voice to lower. They said my voice is too high. It was literally giving them a migraine. Like we've had like oh, 20 no. different letters about how my voice gives people migraines. So like, wow. As far as the voice thing too, that's also something that's really hard, especially as a femme who is like visible on the internet, right? Especially doing like video content. It's hard because like one, people don't really realize the amount of work that goes into speech therapy and that goes into maintaining the voice you have done the speech therapy for. Aside from just knowing trans people, I have known a lot of people who have had to go through speech therapy, Mm. some because of the vocal tone they had and some because of just like other, you know, speech related issues that they were struggling with. I have a number of speech impediments. They're not very noticeable right now because I habitually mask them. Um, But there are a lot of times that you can hear them. And one of the ways that I mask is, you've heard me say, um, quite a bit. That is a way that people often mask their stutter because that's a way of me making myself slow down for a moment to think of the word that I'm trying to get as opposed to stuttering on a syllable. Um, This is something I've been doing since I was a little kid, but also is actually a pretty common like stutter presentation. Uh, It's just your brain like having to take a second. And, you know, I also have one that is related to, I had a bunch of dental work when I was a kid. A lot of people look at me and then go, ah, that makes sense. There's a lot of teeth happening here. Also, another stainless thing. Yes, I found that out very recently. And I was like, fuck, I had to have a few teeth removed. I actually was very upset. And I'm still upset about this to this day. They took out my canines. I was pissed because I had very nice canines. But they took them out because I was a very bitey child. 
it's not fair. You needed defense mechanisms. Well, and that's the thing is I did. I grew up with four older siblings. I had stunted growth and I was a super weird kid. And I also didn't have very good hygiene because my mother never instilled that in me and never like, you know, tried to make sure that I brushed my teeth or showered regularly. And my ADHD ass wasn't going to do it. And also autism. I hated a lot of the sensations with showering and brushing my teeth. Did I know that I needed a softer toothbrush? No, I did not. All of that kind of stuff. So I got bullied a lot. My neighborhood was a rough neighborhood for a long, long time. So a lot of the kids like came from rough homes and were constantly fighting each other. And so I would get into fights all the time. Because the other thing is, no one really stopped to think about the consequences of taking the very bullied, tiny, weird kid and putting them on steroids. Oh, oh for you, some of children who have never been on steroids, may I just explain to you rage? Yeah, that you cannot control. You have no choice. Yeah. And so, like, I had pretty solid emotional control at that point in my life because I had to. I had been having meltdowns that I didn't understand. I had to keep a lid on a lot of my emotions for my safety at home and for the sake of not getting into constant fights with my older siblings and constant fights with people at school. A lot of those fights ended up being self-defense and like that's how I left it. But the steroids made it so that I really couldn't ignore things. And when you are constantly picked on at school, this means that half of the stories that get told about you afterwards involve, and then I threw a chair at them. Because I'm like, I'm raging between, oh my God, I just popped out my kneecap and we need to end this like now and also start laughing over it. This ended because I threw a chair at them. I, I, I don't know which one to land on at the moment. And I'm trying to want the one that will not have me like scream in people's ears. So I'm going to end it there on the, and I threw chairs at people because I feel like we started this with like kidnap people. We're ending it with like, through chairs at people. I adore you. We will talk very soon. Um, I will leave my other to do a nice exit, but be kind, be gentle, be a badass. And we will all see you as soon as I stop crying. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support this show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host Monica and Cosmo for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by me, Luke Spine. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.